Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy on an evening where we are having uh, some problems with Blog Talk Radio. Um, I can start the show, but I can't bring Anastasia on because I can't get into the website, and uh, I don't know what to do at this point except uh, keep trying to reload that page so that I can actually get into the studio to uh, continue the show. Um, I've been trying for about 15 minutes without any luck, and I've also tried calling customer service, and they're jammed up, so I think this is a a system-wide um, technical problem that Blog Talk is having. While I can call in and start the show, uh, I can't do anything else except just talk to you for a few minutes. And um, Lavendar is on the road this evening, uh, coming back from Arkansas. So we had some uh, recordings that we had done several years ago when we first came on the air that I have. <laughs> ready to go for you as soon as I can get in and just click that button. So if you'll just um, bear with me for a few more minutes, I've been trying for about 20 minutes to get in, so I think this might be a catastrophic problem for the evening. And I was so excited about the show this evening because these um, um, stories from Lavendar's journal are extremely um well, let's say just say high strangeness with galactic demonstrations, and we also have the story of her with um, concerning Natalie Wood. But I know that Anastasia is probably um, waiting for me to bring her on to do the news, but Anastasia, if you're listening, I can't do that because I can't get into the studio. So um, just let me play a few buttons here and and see if I can just flip back and forth. I've got two browsers going trying to see if either one of them can get in, but I'm having the same problem with both of them. So that tells me that Blog Talk is having a a huge problem this evening. They're usually really good, um, but apparently not tonight. So... um, I don't know what to tell you all. I'm so glad that you're listening and uh, um, nothing I can do, except I do want to tell you a few things that you might be interested in hearing as um, the May Pleiadian lineup is approaching. We have our um, Starseed Crystal Quest to Arkansas, which is May 15th through the 21st, and we have only three spots left for the ninth Crystal Quest, And this is a soul group reunion, and this group is identified by having at least one of these six star markings, either natally or progressed, 25, 26, or 27 degrees in Taurus, Scorpio, Aquarius, Leo, Capricorn, and Cancer. And if you feel the call of crystals and you're not sure if you have those markings, I'll be happy to take a quick look at your charts and let you know if you do. Just send me your complete birth info. Include the date, the exact time of birth, your place of birth, and also your current location, and send that to crystals, that's plural, crystals, at starseedhotline.com. 
so um, flipping back and forth here. Oh, my gosh. Oh, okay. Okay, one of my browsers got in. So hang on, boys and girls. Just let me sign in. trying to type too fast. I'm making mistakes. Starseedhotline.com. Ah. I hope I got the right pin. Hang on a second. Uh, okay, let's see. The other browser is still spinning. And now it's still spinning, but at least we're making a little bit of progress here. Anastasia, if you're hanging on, I wish you would continue to hang on because it looks like I might be able to get in. At least I got to the sign-in page. And uh, if that works, I'll be thrilled. So, um, all right, All right, now I just got to get into the studio. Ah. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm just kind of shaking all over here because this is uh, not something we're used to dealing with. So as soon as this studio comes up, Anastasia, I will bring you on for the Starseed News. And it's still spinning. I hope you're all having a great beginning of spring. Um, this is our sixth year on the air. Oh, page unresponsive. Um, well, we're just gonna we're just gonna continue to give it a chance because I've gotten farther right now than I have for the past twenty twenty five minutes. So. Um, you know, we started Blog Talk, um, I mean, Starseed Radio Academy on Blog Talk, March 20th, 2010. And we have had a lot of wonderful guests and information from Lavendar's Vault. And keep spinning, uh, keep spinning. If this will let me in, we've probably got a... Oh, okay. <laughs> Woohoo! All right. Saints be praised. All right, Anastasia, I am bringing you on right now. Hey there. Thanks for hanging well, with me. I- hello <laughs> there, Ariel. Bless your heart. You've done a great job. Oh, the well, this is, just like, this is what Lavendar calls um, putting the eyes on it. And you just kind of, <clears throat> you will give me what I want. <laughs> you have done fantastic. I think it's your energy that made it work. Okay. Well, I'd well, like let to me- think that. <laughs> well, I think that. I know that is fact, yes. Well, let's get started with our news and give you a chance to sit back and take a breath. Ooh, and yeah, hopefully, yeah, I hopefully, here. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you can queue up what you need to while I am on it's with It's all ready to go. So, yeah, I'm, 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 Good. I'm fine now that I got well, my I got my, uh, my software. I mean, their software is working now. Absolutely. So, well, I knew something Anastasia, was wrong because take it, take it away uh, it with didn't the start speed news. <laughs> All right, well, here we go. Let's get started. You know, the sun has been real quiet, even though the sun is peppered with sunspots, but they're all relatively small, and none has this type of unstable magnetic field that's likely to explode. So as a result, solar activity is being counted as very low and likely to remain so for days to come. NOAA forecasters say there's just a small, small percent chance of any flares coming up. But yesterday, March 21st, a green comet called 252P Linear 
flew by our planet only, they say only, 5.4 million kilometers away. They say that's the fifth closest cometary approach on record. Now today, a suspected fragment of the comet will pass even closer. The name of the fragment is P2016BA14. Now this comet is green because its vaporizing nucleus emits diatomic carbon, C2, a gas which glows green in the near vacuum of space. Wouldn't that be cool to be out there floating in space checking that out? I can just see that. <laughs> well, the verdant color will become even more intense in the night's head as this comet grows closer to Earth. And there's a chance that the comet's approach could cause a minor meteor shower. And I wonder if we're going to see some green comets because, guess what? In Britain, there was a green flash meteor. And this was days ago. This is before this was even reported, which makes me wonder, you know. Yep, a bright meteor was sighted over Britain prior to the arrival of this comet I just spoke about. And witnesses described the object as a green flash moving south to north for a few seconds, leaving a magnesium white trail. Sightings were reported in London and other uh, places in England along the eastern coast. So uh, they were calling it the St. Patrick's, uh, Patrick's Day meteor because it was green. Now, it was bright enough to be categorized as a fireball. And authorities believe it was a piece of the cosmic rock, which almost certainly came, they say, from the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. And there have been reports of at least one a meteor, a fireball, excuse me, a week over the UK. Well, isn't it interesting that this happened before the reports of this green comet approaching? And in the report about England, they're saying that it came from the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. Unfortunately, I can't tell you if that's connected to the incoming green comet or not. So just interesting or perhaps synchronistic that we've had a green fireball and then the approach of the green comet. So I don't know. That all seems quite mystical and interesting to me, that they would both occur at once, since actually green meteors are pretty rare. Yeah. Well, I suppose you've all seen this. It's been on, well, some of you have seen it. It's been on MSNBC and some perhaps some other mainline channels. Uh, they had an interview with a man that developed a robot, and her name is Sophia. Now, this is a lifelike robot that was uh, supposedly based on uh, Audrey Hepburn's features. Anyway, um, the man's name is uh, Dr. Hansen of Hansen Robotics. He developed Sophia, and she's an android that was activated uh, April 19th of last year, and she's considered to be one of the most advanced robots to date as Sophia uses cameras in her eyes to remember faces and interactions to, quote, get smarter over time, end quote. Well, her, his goal, Dr. Hansen's goal, is to make Sophia as conscious, creative, and capable as any human. What? You know? Wow. Well, he claims that in just two decades, these kinds of androids will be indistinguishable from humans and will walk among us to carry out all manner of basic functions in our everyday lives. Now, there is a video online, and I do suggest that all of you check this out. Everybody needs to check this out. So you would want to uh, type in your browser, Sophia uh, the uh, Android, Sophia the Android, or MSNBC perhaps, and go back and look at their archives because... Watching this video is really creepy. Um, the, the android talks, and she has normal, according to her, on an interview by her maker. He interviewed her on the camera. She claims to have normal human aspirations, 
like going to school, starting a business, making art, and having her own home and starting a family. But she can't, she says, with a change in her expression to a puckered brow. She is not yet considered a legal human. Uh, what is going on? Well, we've all heard of the term cybernetic revolt. You know, we saw that hypothetical scenario in the movies where artificial intelligence will become self-aware and overthrow the puny, less intelligent humans who created it. Did you all know that the U.S. military actually warned against the possibilities of this scenario? Uh, you know, the Terminator scenario. And, in fact, the Office of Naval Research has said, it is a common misconception that robots will only do what we have programmed to do programmed them to do. He, they said that's a misconception. They have studied and researched this, and they're concerned. They say that this idea is outdated because it's based on a past time when programs could be written and understood by a single person. Well, we've long ago surpassed that. Multiple programmers engage in these types of sophisticated programs. So now we are plunging into a brave new world, and there still isn't one convincing argument that such a scenario won't happen. So anyway, we should begin the discussion of, let's say, letting mega corporations or maybe an intelligence agency uh, inventing such mm, robotic instruments or devices and what might happen uh, under circumstances that could get out of control. We certainly don't want... Um, these kinds of scenarios to unfold. And there have been many scientists who've said that they advise against it, that there are real concerns, Stephen Hawking among them, uh, that this is probably either uh, the beginning of a bright future for humanity or the destruction of humanity. Uh, they call it the coming fork in the road. So our technology is moving forward at light speed, and this is where it's taking us. And until you watch this video, you may not be able to appreciate what I'm saying to you. Check it out. Check out the expressions, the skin-like uh, covering on this robot's face. Um, just think about it, because we're so used to thinking that technology is cool, maybe it's time to take a step back and reconsider. Okay, that's my editorial comment for tonight on that. Hi. I agree. Yeah. Well, you know, we think that we feel safe. The average person feels like as long as the government's in charge of nuclear weapons and, you know, there's a protocol and there's security and all that, that we're all perfectly safe. But guess what? Uh, one, um, let's see, how many are there? Fourteen. Fourteen airmen that have been tasked with guarding 150 nuclear missiles at Warren Air Force Base are under investigation for allegedly using cocaine. Last year, three launch officers, known as missileers, pleaded guilty to using ecstasy after an investigation into illegal drug possession uncovered roughly 100 officers involved in a cheating scandal. Now, these men are responsible for protecting 150 Minuteman three nuclear missiles. And these 14 airmen have been suspended from their security duties while the investigation continues. Now, according to reports from worthy sources, quote, the drug allegations involving these 14 airmen are credible. So oh. we have people manning the buttons, doing things like that. So when you do your energy work, you, you might put a little bit in that direction. What, Ariel? Let me just interject. <laughs> um, the Pleiadians and their allies have monitors on every finger that can push that button. So 
uh, that's a line they won't let us cross. That may so be why it hasn't happened. thank you so much for that. <laughs> that may be exactly what's kept us from getting into trouble thus far. Absolutely. Well, we talked about drones on this program, and certainly you need to hear about this. The pilot of a commercial jetliner said his plane nearly collided with a drone while approaching L.A. International Airport on Friday. The near miss was reported about 14 miles east of the airport at 5,000 feet and involved Airbus A380. The drone flew 200 feet over the aircraft, according to the Federal Aviation Administration. Uh, Mid-air collision possibly between a drone and a passenger Airbus. Well, in Portland, uh, it has become the seventh city to sue Monsanto. That's right. Portland, Oregon is suing Monsanto over contaminating the city's waterways with polychlorinated biphenols, PCBs, which is a highly toxic group of chemicals that endangers, of course, as you know, human health and the environment. So there it is. Portland is taking action. In Mexico City, they are having an awful problem with smog. It's a choking smog that's returned to Mexico City this past week at levels not seen in more than a decade. This is prompting fears of more eye-watering days to come as the efforts to curb pollution are not working because they're running up against courts and they say the realities of daily life. They are really concerned about shutting down the city because how is that going to affect the economy? So there's a back and forth going on there. Authorities, however, have gone so far as to declare first phase one pollution alert due to high ozone levels blamed on a thermal inversion. And that maybe some of you know if you've lived in the valleys in the west, a thermal inversion traps airborne contaminants from releasing upward into the atmosphere. In other words, we're forced to choke on our own dirty air. So that's what's going on in Mexico. And you know all about all of you know about China and how difficult it is there uh, to breathe air. Well, in the Caribbean islands, we've had a magnitude 6-point earthquake that uh, hit uh, just a few days ago. There was no immediate tsunami threat. And there was a strong uh, Gulf of Bosnia earthquake felt in Finland, in Sweden, and in Sweden, both Finland and Sweden. And that's according to the University of Helsinki's Institute of Seismology. They said there was a strong 4.1 trembler, trembler beneath the northern part of the Gulf that lasted 10 seconds. Now, authorities are claiming that this is the biggest earthquake in 100 years for northern Sweden. And off Atka Island in Alaska, we had a 6.0 earthquake. And in Kamchatsk, Russia, they had a magnitude 6.4. Well, a new study shows that around 4 billion people on Earth are experiencing water shortages. Now, just think about that. That's about 75% of the world's population. Now, this paints a far more grave picture of the world's water supply than previously thought. And there's a new analysis estimating that over two-thirds of the world's population is facing severe extreme water shortages for at least one month out of the year. Now, previous estimates suggested that between one and a half and three billion people were suffering from occasional water shortages, and everybody thought that that was bad enough. But the new analysis of data collected has identified regions where people are using water at twice the rate that it's being naturally replenished. So the experts around the world are saying that the water scarcity is the top problem of all environmental concerns currently facing the human population on Earth. So let us be thankful for our water and be mindful of it. 
Well, out of Cairo, you guys, radar scans of the tomb of the Pharaoh Tutankhamun in Luxor has shown a 90% chance that it has two hidden chambers, possibly containing organic material. Organic material. That's according to the Egyptian Antiquities Minister. And a British archaeologist believes that these hidden chambers could be the resting place of Queen Nefertiti. You know, she's the legendary beauty and wife of Tutankhamun, father whose mummy has never been found. Now, while they're doing this, they're also scanning four other pyramids to unravel the mysteries hidden below. They're looking at the pyramids of Khufu, also known as the Great Pyramid, the Khafre at Giza, and the Bent and Red Pyramids in Dashur, south of Cairo. So we don't know what they're going to find, but organic material, according to the experts, means mummy. So... They're going to find something. And metal. So, you know, a lot of times when they've been talking about not being over the years, you know, they've talked about not knowing what's in the pyramids, I think, why don't they just use radar? Well, now they're doing it, and they're finding stuff. Wow. Well, speaking of water shortages, Venezuela is in a terrible shape. Uh, They say that Venezuela, Venezuela may run out of electricity. Um. Thousands of demonstrators have been holding counter-rallies against the president of Venezuela, wanting his ouster, uh, because Venezuelans now must queue in front of grocery stores and find that 90% of their medicines are scarce. They are in the worst performing economy in the world, and they say that uh, this is a crisis of unprecedented proportions. So what's up with this? Well, according to news reports, it's about the Guri Dam, excuse me, the Guri Dam and El Nino as being to blame. This dam supplies more than two-thirds of the country's electricity, but the problem is it's just about 11 feet from reaching that water level where power generation will be impossible. There are pictures of that on the Internet. Where the water should be up against the face of the dam versus where it should be, It looks like a trickle. It's practically dry. Now, according to officials, this would be the start of a collapse of the national electric system in Venezuela. And yes, the government is blaming El Nino, but the people are blaming the government, and not without their reasons. There's a lot going on in Venezuela politically. Uh, They're seeing three street protests a day on any given day. And so uh, some of those have to do with the blackouts. They're in a terrible state. The people say they're really suffering for want of food and medicine. Uh, they, in fact, the people, is, uh, the people are quoted as saying the government is putting us through savage suffering. So, their inflation, by the way, is set to soar over 700% in 2016. So that's a sad situation. Well, did you know that doctors are more likely to misdiagnose patients who quote, act like jerks. (laughs) Yeah, there's a study out that says going to see the doctor can bring out the worst in certain people. Being sick and sitting in an appointment room uh, on an overcrowded schedule can be very stressful. Besides that, appointment rooms are ugly, they're colorless, they're depressing, so it increases the stress. But they say if you've ever given a doctor attitude, the next time you might want to think twice. Because Giving a doctor attitude means that you risk being misdiagnosed. They say there are two new studies published in the journal BMJ Quality and Safety, 
and separately, the authors of this uh, study have demonstrated that doctors are more likely to make errors of judgment when they're treating frustrating and difficult patients. So in the first study, researchers asked 63 family medicine residents at a hospital in the Netherlands to read uh, a certain study. They were asked to participate by reading studies of the way people might treat them. What would you do if a person did this or said that if it's a person's cooperative? And what would you do if the person was difficult? Anyway, according to the way they made this study, they said that uh, when medical issues were identical between patients, you take a positive patient and a negative patient who have the same problem, the same physical problem, same medical issues, the doctors would provide less accurate diagnosis when they're faced with disruptive patients. And they say these effects were not small. When the patient's medical problems were complicated, the doctors made 42% more mistakes diagnosing difficult patients compared to more agreeable people. And among similar cases, they made 6% more errors with troublesome patients compared with neutral ones. So there you have it. And that's a little bit of a study in just being a human being and how egos can interact with one another and set up blockages. So when you go to the doctor, by all means, have a positive, upbeat attitude. It will help you in the long run. Yeah. Well, astronomers have detected a radio burst of extraterrestrial origin. This comes out of Sputnik. Um, And Australian astronomers operating a Mongolo Observatory telescope have detected a new radio burst of extraterrestrial origin. Now, according to the professor in charge of this, the signal is picked up. The signal that's picked up the most was called a fast radio burst, and they say that this is uh, definitely an indicating an indicator of something that is not natural. Uh, it's a transient radio pulse, only lasting a few milliseconds, but they have no explanation of what could be causing this, except that they doubt very much if it is a natural phenomenon. They just don't know what's causing that. So that's what's been going on in the news. You know, SETI's been searching for um, a response from space for a long time, and now they've picked up on this signal. Interesting. We're really uh, rocketing forward in our discoveries on all levels. You just can't think of one area of our lives where it just isn't moving at light speed. I'll be really interested to know what the future holds as we move on. It's going to get to be really astonishing. And I never I never cease to be surprised every week. I go, my goodness, I keep my finger on the pulse of these changes as, as well as I can, and I am surprised. And, you know, there are a lot of people that I talk to on a daily basis, clients and students and so on, uh, that are uh, pursuing metaphysics, but they really have no idea of what's going on in the world. And when I tell them just one example of what's happening from the work I do here with Starseed News, their jaws drop. They're completely incredulous. The average person has no idea the amount of change that we're undergoing right now. I really wish that were different, but of course, out there in the mainstream, it's all about keeping your nose to the grindstone and not knowing nearly a portion of what you should. And so most people are quite ignorant of these things. And so it's really a privilege to bring this to you, Starseed listeners, because we really need this information. And I I think that probably you are as much in awe as I am of if I'm doing a good job that is delivering the news, uh, you have to be in awe of the sudden and rapid changes that we're seeing going on. 
So hold the light and hold your position. It's great to be alive. It's a wonderful time to be alive, and it is a very interesting, interesting age. Well, we made it, Ariel. I think we got through the news. <laughs> if we're still plugged in, still on the air. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it says on air, so I think good. I think uh, um, I think we're all good to go. It was a good. little hairy there in the beginning, though. I'll tell you, you that you did great, though. You did really, really well. So we're on track. Yeah. I'm going to pass it back over to you, and I want to give all the listeners and all of our Starseed uh, friends and family all my love and great encouragement in moving ahead. Just be glad to be here and be excited and be positive. It's a great time to be alive. And it's spring. That's even better. Spring, yeah. Yay. <laughs> All right, Ariel, we'll talk next week. Okay, Anastasia, thank you so much for bringing us the Starseed News and for hanging in there while I was trying to... Uh, you know, beat this computer into submission, <laughs> which is something I often do, uh, because uh, it was just it was just bizarre how long it took me to get in. So now that we are in, uh, we can now listen to Lavendar's uh, stories from her journal. And if you were with us last week, uh, we played Crack Between the Worlds, which is our feature story of the big event that happened uh, with Lavendar and George Van Tassel at Giant Rock uh, back in 1977. So um, the two stories that we're playing tonight, um, we're just one will run right into the other, but it picks up where we left off um, last week. So without further ado, I am happy to be able to push this button to bring you Galactic Demonstrations, and our piece on Natalie Wood. I returned to Giant Rock many times after that mysterious February 7, 1977 trip. If you haven't heard the long version of Crack Between the Worlds episode, maybe you need to go back and listen to it so it will be in context with the rest of this story. At least, you know, I was down at Giant Rock maybe... Once a week for months, I was included in discussions about the Integraton. Then the government came and told George to stop allowing people to go inside. They actually had agents that stayed on top of the hill with binoculars monitoring George, Doris, and everyone that came to visit them. Everybody that showed up, well, they got on a list to be observed for later. I think that shutting down the Integraton was one of the reasons George decided to leave the planet. The people in the consciousness of 1977 couldn't accept what this machine was truly about. One of the things I remembered the most is the day George took me to Giant Rock and pointed at it and said, You know, one day Giant Rock's going to crack, and when it does, you're going to have to release this information. And I said, What information? And at that point, something came over him, and that's when I got the information. I'll discuss more of that later, or you can go back and hear that in Crack Between the Worlds. Things that were so beyond my comprehension, the truth about walk-ins, time travel, rejuvenation, cloning, just all of it. It was almost like he was on a speed dial. Then he would see when I was overloading and we just walk for a while before continuing. I need to tell a story here, although it's out of order of things and events, but this is the place I need to tell it, because it's very important to this story. I'll jump ahead a few years. In 1981... 
I was in direct contact with my spaceship star Bethlehem. Thurman Myers, the man I was with at the time, well, we left Las Vegas and we were on our way to New Mexico. I began hearing a communication from the ship. We were directed to stop and go by Sedona into Oak Creek Canyon. I was, to I was told to find a little cabin to rent because I needed a quiet place to write and work and continue these ET demonstrations. We were driving up and down this road looking for a place to rent when all of a sudden, in front of some cabins that were closed for the season, there stood George Van Tassel on the side of the road. He was just standing there grinning. Thurman saw him, and then I saw him, and I yelled, Well, that's George! George Van Tassel, turn around, now! He turned around, and of course George wasn't there anymore. But he had been standing in front of a sign of this place that said, Closed. I said, This is the place we're going to rent it. I think the name of it was the Ch Chipmunk Inn or something like that. Thurman said, you're not going to rent this place. It's shut down. I told him that we had to find the owner and make a deal, which we did, and we rented the cabin for three months. We both had seen George, but what was so ironic about this is that it was 1981 and George had died in February of 78. During those months, I journaled many, many transmissions that I was receiving from the ship. What I came to find out from some of these galactic gems of wisdom is that since the very moment I was born, I've been monitored and I've been guided by the Star of Bethlehem, my ship. My whole life experience is and has been an experiment that I myself was part of planning before I was born. I was chosen for this experiment because of who I'd been and what I had become through my evolution. I simply had to walk the walk, talk the talk, and live right through it. And that's what I came to know. On New Year's Eve of 1978, Gina Billado, Jeanette Browning, and I went to see a movie called The Turning Point with Shirley MacLaine and Anne Bancroft. I remembered seeing Shirley on the screen, and I felt like I knew her. It was like somebody was giving me signals about her. There was an extraordinary feeling I had. And after seeing her on screen, I started fl having flashes about her. These flashes were indications of her future metaphysical interest and concern about UFOs. The information that, that I was receiving was being directed from above. I was being prepared for the future of my association with her. Remember that she was part of the Rack Pack with Sinatra, as she was the female member. But I actually wouldn't get to meet her uh, in person until later in the early 80s. I'd like to refer now to a time that happened in Oklahoma City in September of 78. I decided to have some rebirthing sessions with a lady named Polly Estep. I had gone to the bookstore and picked up a book about Nostradamus. And I was waiting for her to show up. I was sitting on her doorstep and I was thumbing through this book. And all of a sudden, I had this experience. About this time, Pope Paul VI had died, and they had appointed a new pope, John Paul I, sitting there. I just got tuned in, and I knew that this pope was going to be killed, and I got very agitated. I don't know if it had anything to do with Nostradamus or not, but when Paulie showed up, I just couldn't have a session. I had to get in my car and just drive home.
Within two days, Pope Paul I was dead. The official story of John Paul's sudden death, who served only 33 days as Pope, was caused by, they say, a common heart attack. However, a degree of uncertainty accompanied this diagnosis because there was never an autopsy performed. The discrepancies in the Vatican account of the events surrounding John Paul's death, its inaccurate statements about who found the body, what he'd been reading, what he'd found in the vault, everything about it was suspicious. There were so many conspiracies going on at that time about the Vatican Bank and who owned the shares of money. Even fiction focused on the bizarre death of the Pope. The movie The Godfather Part Three featured a major plot line depicting the Vatican Bank involved in organized crime, with various intrigues resulting in the assassination of a Pope, openly named in the movie as John Paul I. And there's so many theories about the CIA assassination attempt due to John Paul I being perceived as trying to improve ties with the Soviet Union in his removal of several pro-American clergy. We'll probably never know for sure whether or not Pope John Paul I was killed, but I tend to believe the information that I was receiving from the ship at the time. Things seemed to be accelerating for me in 1978. I met Thurman Myers, my new man, who I'd be with for 10 years. I took him to Giant Rock to meet Doris. As I had mentioned earlier, George had died in February. And after that trip, I became very sick. My colon was messed up with polyps, and I was burned out and tired. I was hardly working at my business anymore. I did have three clients who worked at the MGM Grand Hotel and Casino. I kept seeing a fire at the MGM Grand and people dying. I told my three clients that if I if they didn't change jobs, they could die in a fire. They didn't listen, and when the fire happened, they died. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. I quit. I was not doing readings anymore. You know, many years later, I was involved in a a product that we um, all went to Las Vegas to try to get put together through a company called Beyond Sea, and I got to meet uh, a man who had been in charge of um, the MGM, and if he had made certain decisions that fire never would have happened. I actually got to work with him and and we talked about the fire and I helped him with the transmutation of his guilt. So that was many years later. So back to my trip to Sarasota, Florida. That's where I went to recover from my burnout. Thurman went to Indonesia and left me there in Sarasota by myself. My mother came to stay with me while he was gone and during her visit I started having incredible pains in my stomach area. She called an ambulance and I was rushed to the hospital where they thought that I had a kidney stone. I'd already been told, and not by doctors, but by them, <laughs> that I should not have sodium pentothal. When I told the doctors that I couldn't have sodium pentothal, they asked me why. And I said, because I'm a UFO contactee. They thought I was a nutcase. They wheeled me into the operating room where they were going to extract what they thought was a kidney stone. Ironically, one of the nurses in the operating room with me was the sister of my hairdresser. She told me later that when they administered the anesthesia, and she didn't know whether it was pentothal or not, that my heart stopped. She said that they were about to put the fibrillator paddle on me to revive me when a blue light filled the room and a voice said, Don't touch her. 
They started backing away as bizarreness had entered the room and everyone fled to huddle in the hall to regroup. When they returned, my heart had started beating again, and they proceeded to remove something they couldn't identify, as it was not a kidney stone. I'm sure now that it was an implant of some kind. When I woke up in recovery, there were these three men in black at the foot of my bed asking me questions. I later found out that this doctor had had an affair with a woman involved in UFO phenomena who was trying to get a half a million dollars out of him. It, sta it started to make more sense why he was acting this way when he told my mother back in the room that I needed psychiatric help. The doctor wrote these prescriptions and handed them to the nurse to call in. She gave the paper back to my mother afterwards, so I got to keep them to see exactly what they were. When I started taking the pills, they wigged me out. They were actually making me crazy. I got into a fight with my mother, who left in tears and flew home. But when she got home, she got her medical book out, read up on these drugs, and called me. She told me to stop taking the stuff. She read that when you take these drugs together, they do create psychotic episodes, and you can go crazy. She saved my life from this demon doctor who was trying to kill me, or at least make me literally crazy. In December of 1979, Thurman asked me where I wanted to go for my birthday, and I told him that I wanted to go to Aruba. We went to Aruba where I enjoyed it very much. I would eventually live there for a while, but more on that later. By January of 1980, I was in Cripple Creek, Colorado, looking at an A-frame house that Thurman had bought for us. We still had the place in Sarasota, so I flew back and forth from Cripple Creek to Sarasota from time to time. I could only stay about three weeks at a time in Cripple Creek because of the altitude. I was in Sarasota when my father decided to come to visit. I was driving uh, to the airport to pick him up in my Lincoln convertible. I was crossing the Sarasota Bridge when I saw a single cloud in the sky. About the time I saw the cloud, lightning came out of it and struck the bridge. It bounced off the bridge and hit me in the car. I was driving this Lincoln convertible with the top down. Anyway, I stopped the car and heard the man behind me slap on his brakes, and I heard the sound of cars running into each other one after another. They didn't hit me, but I was sitting behind the wheel with my fingers clamped on the steering wheel. The man, who was behind me, ran up to my car, asked if I wanted to go to the hospital, and I said, Oh no, I have to pick up my daddy from the airport. I have to see my daddy. I just gunned the car, speeded toward the airport, which was a couple of miles away. I remembered looking back in the rearview mirror, wondering what people were thinking and what were they going to tell the police when they arrived. I decided not to be there for any of it. When my dad got off the plane, he'd been drinking. I tried to explain to him what had happened to me, but he didn't care. He was totally unconcerned. All he wanted to know is if I had any girlfriends he could meet and to party with. Who was this man? I had never seen such behavior coming from him. I was glad to put him back on the plane after a week from Daddy from Hell. Thurman came back from Indonesia and he started treating me really bad. I wondered what I was doing to deserve this terrible treatment. To counteract the treatment that I was receiving from Thurman, I decided I was going to help him. By helping him, I would help myself and do the things that I needed to accomplish. Besides, I had the ship with me and my Galactic Secret Service. We went through several experiences where he saw the kind of galactic powers that were 
standing and walking with me. He really snapped one day when we got on a train in Albuquerque. I didn't want to get on the train. I felt like that something really bad was going to happen. But he made me get on it anyway. We went to the club car, and he started drinking. Thurman got into a fight with the bartender who had been on this train for years. In fact, the bartender was on his way to Chicago, where he was actually retiring at the end of the trip. This was, of course, his last trip. Anyway, security had to come and put Thurman in, in our bunk, where I started undressing him. As I was taking his clothes off, I started hearing a voice that said, In the wheels! In the wheels! In the wheels! I thought, my God, I've got to get off this train, and I'm just going to leave Thurman on it. I'm getting off. I was so disgusted with him. I asked the conductor where the next stop was, and he told me that it was Dodge City, Kansas. When the train stopped, I had my bags in my hand ready to depart. As I stepped off the train, I heard this voice say, Get Thurman off the train. You can't leave him here. I said, I don't want him. And a voice said, Take him off the train. The, the voice kept yelling at me. So with the help of this energy, we dressed him and got him off the train. He was a very big man. So it was really, I don't know how I got him dressed and, and off the train. So there we were standing at the station at midnight. Thurman was drunk, no cabs, no one around, and I didn't know where we were going to go. Then out of the blue, this man pulled up and asked if we needed a ride someplace, and I asked if he could take us to a motel. The man found us a motel, and we thanked him. I've often wondered who that man really was. The next morning when we got up, something, something just said, Turn on that TV. And on the news was a story about the train that we'd been on crashing in Lawrence, Kansas and killing all those people in the Pullman where we'd been sleeping. It was completely demolished. And the bartender? He was killed on his last shift. Thurman looked at me, and he snapped big time. I really didn't have much trouble with Thurman and his drinking after that. It was a turning point, because then, I guess, well... He felt like he owed his life to me. For two years after that, though, a galactic female, an extraterrestrial energy, came and worked with him through me. There was another episode where a man tried to come into our hotel room with a knife. We were down in the Cayman Islands at the time. When I stood up, the knife flew out of his hand and scared him so bad that he ran out of the room. Thurman was sitting there and asked, How did I do that? I told him I didn't do it, that the beings with me must have knocked the knife away. So this was just another example of the Galactic Secret Service. Here's another example of Thurman not wanting to listen. I told him that we were not going to get on this particular airplane. We were in Florida, I think at Miami Airport. And he said, No, we're getting on this airplane. We argued back and forth, and as I refused to get on the flight, the argument, well, it just became a waste of breath and energy, because the plane got grounded. The pilots said that they, they had never seen anything like it. There was fog inside the windshield. All these strange things that happened were actually about training Thurman and, stop, and stopping that dark lord crap that he was carrying with him. He was into power and control. You'll do what I tell you to do, or else. Well, all that stopped. I was being monitored the whole time I was with Thurman because he could be dangerous 
with his you'll-do-what-I-tell-you routine. He started calming down after several of these demonstrations, but it took some extreme examples to get him to pay attention. These demonstrations were so prolific that Thurman actually stopped drinking. He stayed sober the rest of the time that I was with him. December 29, 1984, at 5.05 p.m., Glorieta, New Mexico. Shirley McLean. Now where do I begin? Our meeting, I guess, was destined to be. I had known that my path would not only cross Shirley's, but that somehow we would have many experiences together. For years, I'd been flashing about her, but nothing of any real significance. I'd smile with my brain when I'd read about her in the tabloids, but that was about it. My real knowing about Shirley started in Las Vegas, Nevada, somewhere between 1977 and 78. I'd pick up an article about her, and as I read it, I knew that we would come together with a meeting of the minds. Little did I know at the time that in the near future, it would be related to something that I would call War of the Minds. At that point of my life, I was living and working in Las Vegas. What a town! Whatever you wanted or even think that you wanted, you could have in ten minutes. The town truly never shuts down. After spending five years there, I learned that the highest of souls and the lowest of souls were gathered there. Huge E.T. experiment. It seemed to be a place where great transmutations would happen, that accelerated evolution would take place in Las Vegas. As I already mentioned, in the summer of 75, I was one of seven people who had an extraterrestrial experience out at Lake Mead. We watched aliens walk on the water. None of us were ever the same after that event. Our lives really changed drastically. I'd already had several ET contacts, but I can look back and see that this particular encounter seemed to set my feet on a path of great evolutionary experiences. As I've mentioned earlier, I was conducting counseling work by using astrological charts. I utilized my psychic abilities more than the science of astrology, which always kind of made other astrologers about half nuts. At that time, I knew about my double pineal, but on the other hand, I really didn't know or would comprehend to know for many years later what that really meant about how the ETs would come and go from my double pineal. The Lake Mead experience accelerated my abilities. It seemed that my sight, hearing, and all of my other senses were just amped up about a thousandfold. People started coming to counseling at an, an accelerated rate. I didn't know it then, but I had an ET that came and worked with me every single day. Their work was handled on the QT because it wasn't time for them to make their everyday physical appearance in my life. I suppose that I was just too green or too emotionally crippled from all of my romantic adventures to handle extraterrestrials on an everyday basis. I suppose that I had to hang on to suffering a little while longer before they made their entrance to me. There is one real valuable lesson that I learned from my space brothers and sisters, and that is they know what is happening to us, and they are matching it with cosmic timing 
the whole time that we're doing our little earth dance. You know, people would come to me by word of mouth, and I was always booked. For three years, I had no set fee, only donations. But after I started working with more cosmic laws, I discovered that the flow of exchange is necessary to do the best job and also be free of karmic ties. I lived with the flow of abundance, but nothing that you would call extravagant. When I wanted to be extravagant, I would just visit some movie star friend or people with a lot of Leo planets. Money for the sake of money has never really meant much to me. I suppose that is why I have so little respect for it. I observed in my counseling sessions what part money played in people's lives, and I finally figured out that people played the money game because at the end of their life, they could count all their toys, and whoever had the most toys upon death won the game. I suppose that reasoning warped my sense of values and led me to believe that money can truly burn a hole in your pocket. And besides, whoever saw a hearse with a luggage rack on top? Okay, so, yet when I left my practice in Vegas, I left with a man who was financially secure from his father's oil trust fund. And by this time, I was physically ill, mentally exhausted, and spiritually drained. I had locked into heavy judgment, could see people's potential, tried to help them, only see some of them crash and burn. Truly burn. Judgment is really, I think, what made me sick. I can see that now. I had gained an enormous amount of weight, had polyps in my colon, and I couldn't go to the bathroom without an enema. So, for yeah, for three years. So, when Thurman came into my life, I was, I was ready to leave that life and pick up a new one. I had a celestial visitation from a female energy that asked me if I would help on an assignment of transmitting a person to a higher level of being. And I said yes before I really had time to evaluate well, what I what I have to do in such a, an assignment. The first three years were very difficult and trying to my soul. Thurman knew how to drink and act ugly and play with people's minds and emotions. He knew nothing of metaphysics or cosmic laws. This was not an easy assignment, especially with a mouth like mine, which was, you know, my mouth gets like a torn pocket. I would go to my ET female friend and beg to be relieved of this assignment, and she'd be sitting in my other pineal talking to me as one would speak on the telephone, and I would yell, I quit, and she'd say, not now. She actually would sit on my head and would literally paralyze my tongue when she knew that I had taken all the abuse I could stand. If she hadn't been there 24 hours a day, I would have left in the first month of torture. She kept telling me that Thurman was a very high being who had lost his way through many incarnations in flesh. She wanted me to bring him to his awareness so that he would remember who he was and why he was here. If I could turn his life around and put his feet firmly on the path, then I too would benefit through exalted, multi-level experiences. She reminded me of my past history of giving up on projects just because I got bored or just couldn't see things to completion. She told me that if I could stay to the end of this project, the reason that I am mentioning about all this, about Thurman, is because it's important to understand our relationship and our work and our pledge to the welfare of the planet. 
there have been many people come and go out of our lives in these last six years who have tried to get us apart for one reason or another, but they never seem to grasp or understand galactic packs that are made with millions of souls hanging in the balance. Cosmic agreements are very serious, for they affect not only a root race that is vanishing, but a new root race that is now being prepared to come to Earth for the new age of reason. This all relates to other regions of space that are of a higher cosmic order. So needless to say that family, friends, etc. could have so little an influence upon such a cosmic project. Now as to the meeting of Shirley MacLaine. I must start with the months previous to our official meeting because it shows the integral workings of invisible forces that are at work that are trying to bring us together while another force is trying to keep us apart. On November 1st, 1981, I was informed by galactic sources that a great wave of feminine energy was being brought to the planet. This energy would hit the cells residing in female bodies and strengthen it, thus causing from some women to go overboard and lose their balance. Others would take the same energy and move through it and make it part of their lives forever. Not all women reacted the same to this energy. I remember feeling extremely charged and how difficult it was to close my eyes to even sleep that whole month of November. I can recall pulling my energies back from Thurman and from most male energies at the time. There was a few days that I'd awake thinking that men in general were the enemy. What was really happening was an alignment of energies in my own physical body that was to bring my male and female energies to some sort of balance. I think that this energy gets periodically active at different times of the year and cause some women to go just right off. With menopause, the pill, hormone imbalances, pollution, and sonic disturbance, who can really pinpoint these times unless one is in total balance and can home right in on these restructuring days for women. No medical person would ever step forward and agree with me as to what is happening to the women of the world. They'd be laughed at, right? I was told that I was to send quartz crystals to Cairo, Egypt, and they would go inside the pyramid to be charged with energies that would match this feminine energy shot that was being beamed to the planet. I was unable to go. But I sent Elizabeth Ellis, a beautiful star maiden, to be responsible for the crystals. From the moment I took the assignment about those crystals until the assignment was over, I was under heavy bombardment from dark forces not wanting these crystals to be charged with this feminine energy. One hassle after another occurred from November 1 to November 9, the day the crystals got on their way to Cairo. After I delivered the crystals to Elizabeth at the airport, I flew to Catalina Island, where we had rented a house for three months. I remembered crying most of the way. I was tired. I was suffering from psychic attack, frequency discernment, and physically and mentally exhausted. I, I was a wreck for three days, but after a brief rest, I continued my work doing transmissions from the space called the Star of Bethlehem, or some refer to it as TX-11. This is the same ship 
that helped during the time of the Essenes in Israel and was visible the night that Jesus was born of earthly flesh upon the planet. The same entity comes and goes now off the ship, but he goes now by another name, and some people know him as Sananda, and others give him other names for different times. And TX-11 is the new term given for the new age of reason. I wrote transmissions during the day, and at night I'd go to Cairo, Egypt, to check on the crystals that I had sent with Elizabeth. And it was during that period of time that I was trained by crystal masters as to what should be done with crystal power on the planet. You know, you just have to remember what happened with Atlantis to get a grip on what that responsibility level must have looked like. It's a great responsibility rests with anyone in charge of or in custody of certain kinds of crystals. Because of past misuse of them, entire civilizations have disappeared. I realized the seriousness of this crystal work and kept myself in balance for this special time in Cairo. So every night at 10 p.m., a spacecraft would bring me up, take me to crystal school in Egypt. Now, it was during this period of time that I started flashing and thinking about Shirley MacLaine. Her face would come and go in my mind, and I'd read something about her in the trade papers or see an old movie of hers on TV. I was stimulated to walk down the, to the corner payphone and call an old girlfriend of mine, Jeanette Browning. I hadn't even spoken to her in three years, yet I remembered that she'd been among the ones who sat around the round table in my kitchen while E.T.'s had been coming and going throughout the house, so I wondered who she really was. Anyway, I called and invited her over to see me at Catalina. She told me that she was working for Shirley MacLaine as her secretary. Actually, Jeanette was Shirley's assistant while Shirley only played in Vegas. She never really went anywhere else with her. I first met Jeanette when she was dating and working for Robert Goulet. She had been in love with him, and she had loved to be around movie stars. She didn't want to be a star. She just wanted to walk in their shadows, so to speak. After I hung up the phone, a series of things started to happen. I felt this buzzing in my head. Time was distorted, and I was so hungry I could eat in two tomorrow. I realized that the activation of the feminine energy was being activated within me, and that Shirley's energy some way, somehow, extended to me at Catalina, but I couldn't figure it out. I just shrugged it off as something weird and returned home to continue the transmissions. I had asked Jeanette to come over in about a week, as then I'd be through with my nightly visits to Cairo. But you know what? The very next day, Jeanette showed up unexpectedly with a very handsome man who later I first named the first lieutenant of the Prince of Darkness. When he walked through the door, my hair stood on end. He was gracious, friendly, but I could detect a frequency operating that really spelled out who he was. I couldn't tell Jeanette as she was so naive in such matters. You know, she had the discernment of a worker ant, so I had to keep to myself what I was picking up on her friend. They invited me to dinner that night, and it was at dinner that I started really being tested. But whose forces? Well, just figure it out. It was not important to mention all the tests. The important thing is that I passed it. Because at 9.30, I promptly stood up, excused myself, and said that I had an important meeting that I had to attend. One of them wouldn't let me alone and kept insisting I stay and return with him to his boat.
I kept walking and told him that I had an important meeting in Cairo. He said, Egypt? I said, yes. He called me crazy or some insane term and let me be. What this yo-yo didn't understand was that I really would be in Cairo, Egypt by 10.05 and wouldn't return until 7 a.m. the next morning. I felt that all that had happened had been designed for me to see where my weaknesses and strengths were at that time. The thing that now stands out in my mind is that the date of this was Pleiadian lineup, November 17th, 18th, and 19th, the galactic days of activation that I have come to know so well. So no wonder I was being tested by the first lieutenant of the Prince of Darkness. By the next morning, I knew that I had passed the test. Yet, I knew that there would be other tests to see if I would remain true to the quest. A week later, around Thanksgiving, Thurman came to Los Angeles and we got a room at the Hacienda Hotel and it was close to the Los Angeles airport and Elizabeth would be arriving back with the crystals at 2.30 a.m. the day before Thanksgiving, 1981. We picked her up, got the crystals, went back to the hotel. I wanted to, to just stay up and, watch, and catch the helicopter back to Catalina so that we could have Thanksgiving at our house there. Besides, on Channel 5, they were having a Twilight Zone day from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. reruns of Rod Serling's stories. I really wanted to see that. Thurman said that he felt that we should stay at the hotel and not take the helicopter that morning. I grumbled, but agreed. At 8.30 a.m. that very morning, that helicopter crashed on its way to Catalina, dumping its passengers in the ocean. No one was killed. So, Thurman was right about that one. When I look back at when things started going wacky, it was when Elizabeth brought the crystals back to me from Cairo. It seemed that there were forces that followed those crystals, or forces just hovering and monitoring what was going to happen with the crystals. All I know was that some kind of war had been declared on me personally, and it was because of my agreement to take responsibility for the crystals and their subsequent energies. When we returned to Catalina, I felt a feeling of doom approaching. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I felt like crying five or six times a day. This went on for three days. On November 29th, my galactic female friend who'd been living in my other pineal decided to bid me farewell. She had been my constant companion for three years. What was I ever going to do without her? She explained to me that she had to leave my energy field and that I needed a long rest. She had done what she could with Thurman through me. But she also knew that if she stayed, my nerves would burn out and I could possibly die. This news shook me to my foundation. What was I ever going to do without her? She'd become a great part of me. Her records were now part of my records and vice versa. We'd made such a good team that the thought of such a drastic separation was devastating to say the least. So, on November 29th, she explained that she'd be leaving in a couple of days. After the heavy transmission, she suggested that we take a walk to town. About 4 p.m., we walked down to get a newspaper. Everyone was talking about the death 
of Natalie Wood, the actress. I was stunned, numb. I couldn't believe my ears. My solar plexus started jumping. Tears came to my eyes. The news of her drowning was so shocking that I couldn't get my bearings. We walked back to the house, and I started washing dishes. I had to do something. I was crying and washing, crying and washing. I knew that something had gone wrong, for she was slated to be one of the beings with walk-in energies to come forth and help the planet by stepping forward and helping the people. I'd been told in one of the transmissions that I was supposed to meet her, and that we had a lot of work to do together. I was from the same genetic cloning operation, and she was a part of me. I was devastated. What had gone wrong? I looked out my window and asked, Is it time for me to leave the island? At that moment, a big, I mean big iced tea glass flew off the draining board, landed on the floor without breaking. In fact, it jumped off and just before it got to the floor, it slowed down so it wouldn't break. I knew this was a signal to get the hell out of Dodge. Remember Dodge City and the train? Well, this is that moment. So the next morning we started making plans to shut up the house. I had started having pains in my bladder. My nerves seemed shot, and in two hours I was bleeding. I felt the sharp pain of a kidney stone, and I knew that feeling from three years before. I just now remembered that my galactic female friend arrived one month after my kidney stone operation in Florida. And now that she had left, I was experiencing another kidney stone. I wonder what this connection was. I had one more brief transmission about Natalie, explaining that she had lost her balance of reasoning and was an easy target for the dark forces that were monitoring her. I suffered emotional pain right along with her friends and family. My suffering was from another point of view. I knew who she really was, her potential and what her assignment would be in helping to awaken the people. She would have gone down in earth history as a woman who helped transmute millions out of spiritual darkness. She was a star maiden of galactic origin. She was a star from whence she came. And now she'd only be a memory of a famous movie star of earth. What a loss. I suppose that this was my first real jolt about discernment. I knew that she had lost hers completely. A few years later I discovered that there are certain types of people who have a genetic code of activation and that they have similar characteristics like Natalie Wood, Elizabeth Taylor, Joan Collins, Suzanne Plachette, Elizabeth Ashley, etc. all have this same characteristic and some have corresponding missions. And because of my coding I did belong to this group. There are others connected to this mission who are not famous, but that doesn't lessen their importance on the planet. I realized that I had to get off of Catalina Island and fast. I felt energies that were disruptive and alarming and that were entering my house. This was nuts. So, there was only one seat on the, on the seaplane, so Thurman decided to take the boat. Every time I took a step, I was in pain. I waved to him as he went off on the boat. I called Gina Bellado, another star maiden trying to be an actress, movie star, to come pick me up, but she had an important meeting with an agent who hopefully would make her famous. 
I couldn't believe where her priorities were at that moment. Didn't she understand that I was bleeding and that I could be dying? She did, though, find someone else to pick me up. The whole episode was shocking. I was watching Thurman on the boat, but something made me turn around and see my luggage on top of a shuttle bus, and I yelled, Where are you taking my luggage? And it seemed that the seaplane had been canceled at the last moment, and everyone had boarded the bus to ride 20 miles up to the landing strip. I climbed aboard, took my seat, and decided that I'd use my mind to stop the kidney stone from moving. I succeeded and turned around and looked out the window. I saw the face of another star maiden friend of mine, Chris Griscom. I remembered her telling me how she had given birth to her baby alone, but with no help. And at that moment, I understood her dilemma of pain and being alone. I knew that if she could do it, that I could do it. And sure enough, I stopped that stone right in its track and also the pain. It seemed to take forever to get to the landing strip. When we got there, the pilot, who looked like a replica of Alan Ladd with a cigar in his mouth, told me that he had had the the seaplane on the runway when a voice spoke to him and said, Turn the plane around. It will never make it back. So with that, he turned the plane around and picked up the, the land plane. After he said that, I climbed on board, looked out the window, and then I saw Shirley MacLaine's face. It was then that I heard my inner voice say, Oh, Shirley, Natalie's gone. It's now up to you to help the people on the planet. Well, where did that come from? I couldn't imagine why I would say such a thing. I hadn't even met Shirley yet, but something deep inside of me seemed to know. I did not know it then, but Warren Beatty, Shirley's brother, had been deeply in love with Natalie and was at that moment in deep sorrow and depression because of her untimely death. I was so relieved to arrive safely at Long Beach Airport. Thurman and I drove to LAX and flew directly to Las Vegas where my best friend, Belva Bloomer, lived. She, as of this writing of this, wrote fan letters for Shirley up at Cripple Creek, Colorado. I knew in my heart that if I could get to my friend with her healing abilities, that we together could bust the kidney stones, and then I'd pass them. We made quite a team. She would hold the beam, and then I would shoot, and then try to pass them in the urine. And this went on for five or six days. I have never experienced so much pain. My nerves were raw. Natalie was dead. And where was my galactic female buddy? Gone. My personal world had collapsed, and I couldn't get a handle on what was really happening to me. Jeanette Browning, Shirley's secretary, asked me to come to her house to get well. I wasn't in a position to make many sound decisions, so I said yes. I stayed there from December 4th to the 16th. Jeanette had transiting Neptune on her natal sun, which kept her in the twilight zone most of the time. She couldn't turn around that she wasn't making some unwise decision, and looking back on those days, I felt kind of sorry for her. But later, I discovered that enemies come in many disguises. On one particular day, Thurman decided to show up and give me a gigantic healing with two giant crystals. Jeanette came home early to help. She had had several drinks and was sitting at my feet holding the point when the doorbell rang. It was flowers from the one she had been with in Catalina, the first lieutenant of the Prince of Darkness. 
She set them on the table downstairs, which is directly under my bed. There was an energy exchange set up, but I don't know to this day how to describe it with any clarity. But the energies coming from the crystals had aligned them with something that was killing me and not making me well. I knew it in the minute it happened, but I was too sick to know what to do. But I never will forget it. Never. I also realized that Thurman was playing the role of half-friend, half-villain. He should have been on top of the situation, but his ego got in the way and out of control, and he had absolutely no discernment. I knew that the energy trying to kill me also knew what my mission was to perform and simply did not want me to succeed. With naive Jeanette and then Thurman play, playing acting his new role as God, I knew that I had to get out of there and fast. I wasn't thinking too well, but at least I knew that if I stayed that I might die. I know this sounds like I was filled with fear, but I was dealing with energies that were not of this world, and the test was too much to take because of my physical problem. Also around that time, I remember calling Chris Griscom. Thurman flew her there uh, to Las Vegas. She worked on me, and I remembered uh, her bringing some amethyst crystals and putting it in a glass of water, putting it in the sun, and all the purple left the amethyst. I drank the water, and somehow I was able to get my next uh, energy up to where I could literally drive out of Las Vegas. I had Thurman drive me to Flagstaff, Arizona, where we had another house. I had 104 temperature for several days. And during my fever, I saw other dimensions and had many unusual visions. I encountered a being that reminded me, well, of the Ayatollah Khomeini. And I think it was him because I actually saw him later when he did leave the planet. It was the same guy. And others that looked like his assistants. Dark star lords were beaming energy constantly at me. I couldn't believe it. During this period of time, I talked to Jeanette, who wanted me to talk to Cha-Cha. And he'd been with Shirley for two or three years, training her in metaphysical matters. She called him David in her Out of the Book uh, series, which is really a composite of two or three others who came to help her. And at that time, Cha-Cha was living off of Shirley's charity, so he was quite protective of any new people who would come into her life. He was doing drugs, drinking quite heavily. He'd had experiences with extraterrestrial beings, and he just couldn't function with ordinary humans. He had been with a female cosmonaut. She activated into him a lot of advanced knowledge, made love with him, and it spoiled him so much that he could never be satisfied by an earth woman. He was a casualty of great spiritual indigestion. But now that I look back on it, I'm sure there was a runner, also from Ramsa, that was slowly but surely driving him away from Shirley and out of her life. Ramsa, well, this was his M.O. I told Cha-Cha that I had a screenplay to show him, hoping he would read it, and if he liked it, pass it on to Shirley. I had written a screenplay called It's Happened Again. The story of two souls out of body, they fall in love, then reincarnate back into body with the help from a spacecraft, a script that I heard from beginning to end in 45 minutes at Mount Charleston, Nevada, years before. In between training Thurman and Cosmic Laws and doing transmission, I developed the screenplay over a two-and-a-half-year period. 
I had a lot of help by celestial beings creating this screenplay, so I just assumed that everyone would welcome it with open arms. Boy, was I wrong about that. I was rejected from every corner of the film industry. So I felt it'd be proper to put it in Shirley's path in case she saw the potential of its birth on the screen. All this time, as Cha-Cha was reading the screenplay, I had dark star-lords hovering over my bed. Was this some old past karmic debt playing out? Who were these energies trying to kill me? And if they kill me, then what? Then I didn't know or understand, but as the years passed with many more experiences and similar type of energies, I know that they were engaged by higher forces to test me, not to kill me. I knew I had a mission, and I knew that nothing, absolutely nothing, was going to stop me. Well, that is the end of our story for this evening, and I would like to thank you all for listening and bearing with us while we had some technical difficulties at the beginning there. And Lavendar will be back next week, and we will look forward to another episode of Starseed Radio Academy. Until that time, from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you for listening, and have a great week. Good night. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.